Hello, and welcome to the Sovereign Collective Podcast, where we bring you real raw truths for your self-empowerment. I'm your host, Sasha Kalavoda, and I believe that you can stand on your own two feet, but that you don't have to do it alone. I love learning from people who continually strive to raise the bar, to go against mainstream thinking, and who dare to question the general consensus. People are risking ridicule or even risk the loss of their professional status as they bravely question the common narratives and challenge the rest of us to expand our minds and to reconsider what we think we already know. Join me in learning how to take control of your health and your mind so that you can have the energy to think more clearly and the confidence to step up and take responsibility for all aspects of your life. We promise to never censor here because I believe you are strong enough to hear the real raw truth to make up your own mind. If you like what you find here at the Sovereign Collective Podcast, then please share with your friends and family. I so appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on to the show. Hi, y'all. This is Sasha here for two quick announcements before we get on to our interview for today. First of all, if you are looking for quality supplements, quality tonic herbs, some specialty food items, and you're in and around Calgary, then please go check out Lotus Herbal Health, a great family-run store that has two locations in Calgary. You can find them at lotusherbalhealth.ca to find out where their locations are, or you can shop online and they will pretty much deliver anywhere. So quality supplements, tonic herbs, great staff, check out lotusherbalhealth.ca. Secondly, I want to announce the relaunch of my program called Your Conscious Pregnancy and Parenting Guide, which consists of experts in their fields around the world on consciousness and parenting and education and nutrition and dentistry and homeopathy and more. This is a program I created after my son was born about 10 years ago, a little bit more than that. And I am now very concerned after the events of 2020 for our future generations. And I believe the time is now for conscious parenting and for conscious parents to rise up and take, to take back our pregnancies and our births and our parenting and the resilience of our children and of future generations. The time is now. We change the course of history by changing the course of our future generations. And we do that by consciously raising them, consciously birthing them, consciously conceiving them, feeding them good food, and taking back the responsibility of raising healthy, well-adjusted, robust people. Resilience. It's time to build resilience. So please go check out sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide, and you'll be able to check out all of the amazing material in there. It's time for us to understand how our worldviews are formed, how our self-views are formed, and how to impact that and how that impacts the society on a whole. So check it out, sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide. And now on to the show. Hey everyone, Sasha here, another interview for the Sovereign Collective podcast. And today I am with Jamie Russo. Jamie Russo is a tattoo artist of over 25 years with a great passion for his art. And he's an award-winning artist and an owner and, and the owner and operator of Pushing Ink Tattoo Emporium in Barrie, Ontario. So why am I talking to a tattoo artist today? Well, Jamie has a really important story to share. He has wisdom to share. He has strength to impart to people that are cowering under these oppressive, uh, I was going to say laws, but they're really not laws, right? These oppressive statutes and, and um, mandates and things like that. So Jamie has decided to stand up for what is right and to stand in the space where he has the right 
to continue his craft, to continue to continue keeping his business open and to serve his customers and to continue doing what he loves and in exchange for that to, you know, to earn his living in this world so he can feed himself and his family and whatever else. So thank you, Jamie. I really appreciate your time today. I find there are there's there are a lot of people doing that, what you're doing, but there's a lot that aren't. And I would say there's more that aren't. So I really want to say, first of all, before we get into this, thank you. Thank you for being an example. Thank you for standing up for what is right and being willing to take whatever you know happens as a result, because we have to be willing to be standing in that space. Because one thing we know for sure, complying with tyranny is not a way to overcome tyranny, right? It's not going to happen. And for those of you who don't believe we are living in tyrannical times, just pretend that you woke up from December 31st, 2019 to today and see all the changes that you have allowed yourself to comply to and see if that would have happened that quickly, would you be accepting it so easily as maybe, you know, you would, uh, you are today? Like, uh, would you be accepting that? And many of you I know that are watching aren't, but some people on the path of really discovering what is truly going on. So thank you, Jamie, again, for being here today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me here. So it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I like to tell my story and, uh, you know, kind of get it out there and hopefully empower uh, other people to do the same, whether you have a business or a family, single, it doesn't matter. We all got to start standing up for exactly what is right. Um, for those that can't see what's actually happening, that's fine. But for those that do, and if you stay silent, you become a part of the problem. So what we got to do is, is start to unite and really start to get together working on this to actually overcome this as one unit as opposed to all these separate little pockets, you know, because um, we're watching this all across the freedom movement. So one of the things I did in the beginning, um, so I'll tell my whole story, you know, I'll just kind of give a brief, brief thing. Um, so I did close the very first lockdown. I've been studying all this stuff for about 25 years. And when, when I tell people that they're like studying what stuff, right? and I'm like, what is going on today? Um, and I started to tell some of the roadmap to people well before anything else was going on, right? And people still didn't put that together, what I was saying. And so I'll get into that in a little bit. But as, as I studied religion, spirituality, I've studied um, some history, uh, some of the off the beaten path history, not the mainstream um, I've gotten into a lot of uh, Aboriginal, uh, whether it be North American, um, Australian, uh, African. So when you get into spiritualities, religions, then you start to find secret sects within all of these things. So organizations that um, might not be so secretive, but they work with secrets. And so you get into the occults, masonry, proprietors, all of these things. And then it really starts to branch out so you can start to obtain a lot of knowledge. So that's what I was researching for 25 plus years, just here and there picking away at it. So as this started to transpire in, let's see, March 2020, I remember I was bopping around my house singing, uh, you know, like, or saying, it's finally here. <laughs> here. Because I knew this was coming. I knew they were going to say it was a virus. I knew it was coming out of China. Um, and I've known that for 15 years, solid. 
right? So how did I know that? Because this is a part of their roadmap. It's not that I had any psychic capability. I was just reading between the lines and finding a lot of the data that most people were discrediting as nonsense. But I didn't know how deadly the virus was. So in the beginning, you know, I did close the first lockdown um, because there could have been, you know, something behind it. As I progressed, I learned further just through research and, you know, anybody that that questions things will find it very simply. All you have to do is look. It's not hard to find. Um, you know what I mean? So you, you can find things that will lead you down all kinds of rabbit holes. But so in the beginning, I was kind of minding my P's and Q's and uh, working with the system. While I locked down the first time, I started to do heavy research. I kind of took advantage of it because I never really take any time off. So I thought, hey, I have time. So I, I started to really research stuff and I, I started to connect a bunch of the dots. Uh, when they tried to lock us down the second time in Ontario in our, our area was December 26, uh, 2020. Right. How long so was I, the first lockdown? Uh, the first lockdown went from March till I think July. Well, a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I actually, I'll, I'll back up a bit. So when just before the lockdown, I had one of my staff members, uh, they were asking me, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Right. And I was like, just give me a second. I'm just thinking. I remember the location of my shop that I was sitting, I was sitting on a stool. And then I, I kind of took a breath in and I said, either this is a real pandemic and we're about to hug our loved ones goodbye or this is the biggest vaccine commercial I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I said that to one of my staff on March 17th, 2020. Yeah. Since then, five of my staff walked out because of my stand. Wow. And I would, I would love to be the fly on the wall when they, they come to the realization that I told them a year before the vaccines even came out that there was going to be vaccines. <laughs> Exactly. Right. You know, so, okay. So now we jump back to December. I, I, I shut down. I literally, I had a little bit of flooring that I wanted to do. And so I bought all the stuff, waited for the next lockdown so I could renovate my floors. Perfect time. And then, so January 4th, I was open. Uh, like a lot of businesses at that time, I was kind of under the radar. I didn't have my open sign on. Um, so I was still functioning. Uh, it was it was pretty crazy because we get into this social conditioning. <laughs> no one's really immune to it, and you don't really realize it until you start doing something, right? So as I was driving to work, it was it, I had the feeling like I had like a pound of cocaine beside me or something, right? Or I just brought <laughs> the stagecoach. Right. And we were in the shop. There was me and another fellow that was working with me. Everybody else took the time off. And uh, we kept peeking out the window, you know, and it was like, this is ridiculous. I remember saying, saying to my, my employee, I was like, if you asked me 20 years ago, if I'd be in this spot, you know, and become, become the viewpoint of a criminal for going to work, I tell you, you're absolutely insane. So anyone that's listening, I really want that to kind of sink in. We became criminals for going to work to try to feed ourselves. Exactly. That's insanity right there. So, so we, we did that. And um, 
I'm, I'm with a group called We Are All Essential, and it's a bunch of business owners that have come together in an organization. And what we've done is we've kind of pooled together, we support each other, do all these things, um, and it's across Canada, so anybody can join. And we had, um, we were trying to open up all of Canada or as much as we can to stand up on February 11th. So we were doing these big announcements. I wound up doing paid advertising on a lot of social medias about two and a half weeks before I opened saying my big opening day was gonna be February 11th. I knew exactly what I was doing. I was calling them directly to my door. Yes. Um, and then what happened in Ontario was Doug Ford wound up announcing that on uh, the 16th of February, 2021, he was allowing businesses to open. So about 75% of the businesses that were going to open sat back down and they're like, what's another five days? Right. So I'll just remind, remind you that five days cost you till now, you know? Um, so it's obviously we're making an impact if they were, they were backpedaling within five days. Now, when I did the, the advertisement, I made a wager with myself and I said, I'm willing to lose everything everything I ever own in order to stand on what's right. I want to uh, make videos to show other business owners how to stand, it's not that difficult, how to engage in the whole process. And so I did that. And as I said, I was wagering everything that I own, you know, for this fight, I'll even throw my life on the line. So that was my wager. And then I said, I'm gonna do the education videos, put them online. I hope they go as viral as they can go. So other businesses will stand up. And then I wanna learn as much as I can learn on how to fight back properly within the courts and everything else. And <clears throat> after doing all that and getting into the courts, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the next part of my deal was I wanted them to leave me alone so that during that process, I could teach and guide and coach as many businesses and men and women as I possibly could. So what happened was February 11th, they showed up. And uh, because I was the first one in my, my uh, region, I wound up getting two health, uh, two bylaw and a police officer Right, so I had five men standing at the door. And then um, they were there, I believe, about five after 12, and I opened at 12. So they, they didn't waiting. Right. Yeah, they didn't disappoint. And I made sure I had nobody booked that weekend. I didn't want to put any of my clients through any of the madness, right? So I took it head on, made sure that everybody was, was safe that way. And then... Um, Normally, they didn't come back a second time. Like, uh, you'd wait a day or two, right? Sometimes up to three. But they came back, I think it was 5 o'clock that night. So, and at that point, I had two SWAT officers, uh, two bylaw, and uh, uh, two uh, health again, right? And then the next day, they came back. So, they ordered me clothes. They gave me a summons. I wound up, that's the only point that I closed. The reason why I closed is I called it armoring up, right? I needed to take a step sideways, not back, just sideways. So I locked the doors, 
Um, I opened back up, I believe, on the 18th because I got my, my staff all ready. We could open on the 16th, but I was getting them all prepared while I was learning a bunch of stuff in the background. And then I haven't closed ever since. So with my wager and everything else, I got the one summons. They've dragged me through the court and they've never showed up again. Um, I did get a complaint to the health board and the health board called me. I, I would leave my open sign on 24 seven during the lockdowns. And to me, that was like giving them the middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> so I just left it on permanently, right? Um, and so they knew I was open. They knew what I was doing. I was very vocal about it. I didn't hide it. Any, any podcasts I was on, any interviews, um, you know, I was very open about what I was doing, how I was doing it. So we did get a complaint. The health guy phoned me as my regular inspector, where I was dealing with all the higher ups through paperwork. So he called and I think this was around June of 2021. And he said, we're about to be open. You know, there's only a few more weeks left. We heard that you're open and no one's wearing a mask. And, and I said, yeah, I said, oh, so you got a complaint? And he's like, yeah. And I said, okay, so under the freedom of information, can you forward me that complaint? Right. And he right. said, well, um, you know, by the time you get it and everything else, you're going to be open anyway. And I was like, oh, okay. So like, what, what are you calling for more or the less, right? And uh, <laughs> so this, this conversation dragged on for about 15 minutes. And he's like, you know, the numbers are coming down. People are getting vaccinated, so the numbers are dropping. And I was like, you have no data on that. He's like, well, yeah, you're right. And I was like, okay, perfect. <laughs> he started to go on about the numbers again and then decreasing. And I was like, we're at the end of flu season. Of course the numbers are going down. And he's like, yeah, you're right. So it was almost like, like he wow. was agreeing with me. I had him on speaker. My, my girlfriend was listening and at the end of the conversation, I was like, did he, did he literally phone me to tell me to just kind of keep my nose clean so they didn't have to come over? And she's like, that's the indication I got. And I was like, and, and was he agreeing with me debunking this, this BS? And she's like, yep, that's what it sounded like to me. And I was like, okay, perfect. So I've, I've gained the conclusion out of that. I believe there's health officials that are working through all this that are actually in agreement with us. They just don't know what to do about it. Right. Right. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of where I was at. And then I haven't seen them since. Uh, again, they all know I'm open. Uh, they all know I've defied all the lockdowns. They all know that I, I didn't have masks. The other cool thing with that conversation with the health um the health board is I wound up saying, yes, a bunch of my staff don't wear masks because they're exempt. So, and I was like, make sure you write that down. Cause I know you're writing this down. So make sure you write that down. So when you get a, another mass complaint, you know, my staff is already exempt. So you have no business coming over. Mm -hmm. And on my doors, I have no trespass. I have uh, notes about uh, common law jurisdiction and uh, trespasses uh, being a $100,000 fine. Right. And so you have gone through court. So the fine that you received, you know, is that from you opening on the 11th when you didn't even have anybody, any customers or anything? Is that what that was from? 
Yep. Yep, definitely. So I got summons to court and uh, we went through the whole court process. I was standing in common law. And so I, I wound up submitting uh, paperwork before every single uh, appearance. I believe I wound up having nine appearances in total wow. by the time it was all said and done. And it was dragged out and they did all kinds of stuff. And it was just a complete waste of time. You're, you're literally in traffic court. So it's um, the Ontario courts. You know, it's not criminal. It's not anything else. And they, they're not listening to any reason. So the one thing that I discovered very quickly is they don't care whether the law is, is just, proper, right. They don't care. All they care about is some legislator put it on their table and then they judge on that solely. Right. You can even you can even talk about how it conflicts with anything else and they don't care. Their job is to judge you on something that somebody else written. When we actually look at the legal system, um, to me it's a farce. They're they're constantly using case law. Okay, so what does one case have to do with another case? I'll tell you straight up. It's laziness on the judge and the lawyer to get you off on your particular circumstance because they compare it to a circumstance that has nothing to do with you and is non-relatable so that they don't have to make a decision or do any heavy work. Right. It's kind of like everything is protocol, right? It's teachers are like that. Doctors are like that. Lawyers are like that. It's just following protocol, no critical thinking, no, you know, independent ass assessment of the individual in front of you, the case in front of you. It's just protocol. Yeah. Exactly. And at one point um, during my pretrial, so I've, I've also uh, connected with Christopher James from A Warrior Calls and yeah. um, me and him have been working together and uh, it's been a big help to get to where I've gotten and learning a lot of the process. Um, so during the pre-trial, and Christopher James has been covering my story. So if anyone's interested, you can find it through a lot of his broadcasts. He does have uh, the medias there. Yeah. So November 1st, we aired uh, my pre-trial. And um, yeah, that was pretty great. I wound up getting the justice of the peace because I kept pressing the question, like, who's moving this court? So I went in in the capacity of a man and I was asking the court, like, who's moving the court, right? Who's moving the court? I have the right to know who's moving this court. And so the justice of the peace, she was trying to answer and I just kept talking over and pressing the question. And she finally answers, you know, the government of Ontario. And I said, oh, the Service Corporation of Ontario. She said, yes. I was like, okay, I have the right to see my accuser. Bring them into the court. Right. She said, we can't. They're a fictional entity. No, she didn't actually say that. Yep. November 1st on a Warrior Calls, November 1st, oh, 2021. Wow. You can go back and watch the replay. And she says, we can't. They're a fiction a fictional entity Wow! right there everything should have been dropped that's what i was gonna say what didn't it shouldn't it, yeah. it should have been thrown out right from the yeah, exactly what happened so, so 
while they they've carried it all the way on this is how we know the courts are not playing not even by their own protocols i know people that are going through the courts with the legal point of view or the legal perspective and they're just railroading them they're not listening to what they have to say anything that's going on you know i know individuals that um have the reopen ontario act and there's uh, i believe two or three spots where Doug's, Doug Ford's signature has been forged or electronically applied to the document, which is fraud. Right. Right. So therefore, the Reopen Ontario Act can't be in effect. Plus, on top of that, if you go into the Bill of Rights, if you're going to stand on a legal system, the Bill of Rights says that we have supremacy to or God has supremacy we're next to God, and then what we create, right? So then the courts would come after that. We have to have the proper due process of law, which we're not getting. Uh, the Reopen Ontario Act also goes against the Bill of Rights. If you read just the first section, you can see all of the infringements that they do. They can't bend a bridge or um, <clears throat> twist in any way any of our fundamental rights. The Bill of Rights also recognizes that we have fundamental rights that aren't fully listed on that, that page. Um, they just listed what they believe to be the more important ones, right? So they can't, they can't twist or obscure or anything your rights whatsoever. And any law that does is automatically null and void. If you go into the Instrument Act, it says the older laws are still in effect and um, new laws can't override the old law and if the, it contradicts with the old law it's null and void right so our freedom of assembly a freedom of association um liberty security well security that's my livelihood liberty yeah. is my livelihood assembly is me and my clients you know what i mean so they're they're infringing on all kinds of rights at the end of the Bill of Rights, it also winds up talking about um, if any of your rights are to, to be infringed or abridged or anything done with them, it has to be an act of parliament. Now, when there's an act of parliament, they have to push through this act. They have to specify what right they're infringing on and for how long, which has never been done. So we know that all of these reopen Ontario or British Columbia or any of the other province or territories go against everything that came before it. So they're all illegal. Mm. And so how does one actually attain true remedy in a system that's completely lawless and that is ignoring, like, like what you said, it should have been thrown out right from the beginning. You shouldn't have gone to court nine times. That's crazy. What a waste of time on everybody's part and resources. So exactly. how do you feel that remedy can be attained in a situation where the law doesn't matter? Yeah, no, this this is the, the million dollar question, because if, if we all had that one remedy, we'd all be applying it and doing it. Um, one of the things that I believed would, would have worked right from the beginning and even now is I was, I was encouraging everyone um, to get as many tickets and fines as possible. Right. You're just feeding the gluttonous pig until it pops. Right. You know what I mean? And then they would, they would have no choice but to throw them all out. 
Right. And that's a good point. I mean, I think the strength will come in numbers. We all open, we all stop complying. We all get the tickets. We have to come together. And that's really the power because there really are more of us. So, yeah. but there's the, pe the problem is people are afraid. They're cowards. They don't know who they are and they don't want to, they're not willing to stand in that space. Exactly. And, and that's, that's the, the whole thing is how do we encourage people that are frightened and we have a lawless government that is non-responsible uh, or liable for any of their actions. <coughs> See, this was the beauty about uh, the trucker convoy is because of mass numbers that actually stood up as people started to realize how many people were not for the whole system that's happening. And the other beautiful thing with the trucker convoy, it didn't matter whether people were in a mask, not in a mask, whether they're vaccinated, not vaccinated, it didn't matter. People were just standing up and it was giving us the ability to see uh, people we didn't even know had these opinions or thoughts or viewpoints. And it gave them the same thing where they're looking around and you're like, oh my God, this is crazy. So I've done a, a, quite a few talks after the trucker convoy. And even as it was going on, I was pointing out to people that when you look at from Newfoundland to Ottawa and BC to Ottawa, you had all these trucks going across our entire country. How many people were showing up at the bridges to feed the truckers and all that kind of stuff, right? There's a lot of bridges that they, they were going through and, and people cheering and where they were stopping. Here in Vaughan Mills in Ontario, there was over 10,000 people at that bridge. <clears throat> and then in Ottawa on January 29th, 2022, uh, the OPP and the RCMP both released, their, they estimated 2 to 2.3 million people in Ottawa for the trucker wow. convoy. Wow. Now, when you do when you do the math and being generous, <clears throat> if if that's about twenty percent of the representation of the Canadians that were standing up were in Ottawa, right? At two point three million, twenty percent that's eleven point five million people standing. That's one third of the population is done. Yeah. Now we need to get organized. Yes. Yeah, this is this is the trick is I kept telling people when I was standing up, um, you know, I had one of my employees when when I was taking my second stand during the lockdown and he said, oh, I just would hate to see you stand alone again. And I turned to them and I said, I was never standing alone. That's the whole thing. I was never standing alone. Other people need to see someone stand before they will stand because they think they're alone. Mm -hmm. This is the, the trucker convoy literally proved that to us how many people just came out of the woodwork. So then they went to the next step and they, they, um, you know, illegally applied the emergency act. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. While that was going on, I was, I was chuckling because as they were doing press conferences about, Oh, we don't know if we should or shouldn't. And then uh, Christina Freeling comes on and says, we're rewriting part of it. And there's going to be some parts that we're rewriting are going to stick. Like they're going to stay. And I was like, Oh, what are you guys up to? Right. Right. And what most people don't realize what happened was the freezing your bank account state. That's the part that they kept behind. 
Yeah. Right. So now if you if they believe, you know, that you're doing something they don't like, they, they have the power or they claim they have the power. And you got to remember, all this is illegal that they're doing. Of course. <clears throat> so this made part of the 11 and a half million people frightened again to sit back down. Right. Right. When, when this all started for you, did you have some fear to overcome or were you just fearless? Oh, yeah. Was it quite stressful and nerve wracking for you? <clears throat> oh, definitely. Um, as I said, I was going to work and I was like, I robbed a stagecoach and I was hiding in my hideout and it was like, when are they coming? So it was, it was very nerve wracking. Uh, what got me through it is I knew it was right. That's the whole thing is I've, I've always been uh, the, the type of man that if I see somebody unjustly picked on or, you know, any, anything unjust, I'll, I'll stand up for them. I always have ever since I was a, a kid, all through my teen years, um, through high school, I got in more fights for defending other people that couldn't defend themselves than myself. I would take a, you know, a, a punch in the head and I would sooner walk away than to fight with somebody. Um, I didn't see the point, but I was always, um, you know, defending others that couldn't. So it was kind of a no-brainer for me. Um, I put myself into that mindset because I was taking a stand for, I believe, others that didn't know how or were frightened to or whatever it was. So I took that stand to help defend them so that they could take the stand as well. Um, and and it did work because. <clears throat> the other thing is in March, March 1st, uh, 2021, right after they let us out on February 16th, in our, our region, they put us back into a, a lockdown. So we went from the red into the gray. And this is where they started doing these color codes and they added another color in there, which was gray. And then we wound up in the gray and... Uh, myself and there was another group that were working in our area we put together uh, a protest and it was on the march 6 and we were doing all this work and we were encouraging all these people that own businesses to stand up so in simcoe county simcoe and muskoka uh, there was about just over 300 businesses i don't know the exact number we had a group and everyone that was opening and staying open joined in the group and uh, within 48 hours, it got up to about 320 some odd. So everyone opened. Um, they went public. The mayor of Barry could not keep up with his phone or his emails. The head of our health board of Simcoe Muskoka couldn't keep up with emails or his phone. Um, and then a few days later, the, the head of the the health board his name's uh, Charles Gardner Dr. Charles Gardner he wound up doing a public statement saying that they were a little bit too hasty no. and that they're going to go back into the red and so I was trying to show people at that point and at that point we were the first and I believe the only location in Canada that actually got them to back up because they put us back into the red zone right so they let us open up again and with those 300 I was saying don't sit down right go tell we're like at the green we already have them backing up don't sit down last thing you ever want to do right but all of them of course they sat down and, and so we we started over 
but the one thing that I can I can say um, is that we showed the people that the people have the power. We never lost the power. We lost um, the thought that we have the power. Right. You know what I mean? So th that's that's a clear example that when people stick together, we accomplish what the people want. The other thing that people don't realize is that the, the courts are influenced on the consensus of the population. <laughs> the courts rule in an opinion. So this is this is everything that the government's been doing and they pass it down. They couldn't go with uh, the vaccine mandates. So they encourage businesses to create a, a mandatory vaccination policy. And I was telling people at the beginning, this is, uh, I call it word sorcery, right? Because I was saying, they're not saying that the vaccine's mandatory. They're right. saying that policy- Policy's mandatory. Of, of the vaccine is mandatory. So I was doing videos explaining that and I wound up saying, this is my my shop's policy about the vaccine. The mandatory policy is I can't ask you your medical history. That's my policy. There nice you go. policy. You Perfect. You want me to, yeah, you want me to write it on the wall or something? I'll do that. No problem. You know, right. uh, but this this wound up confusing people and they do this on purpose. It's all about the wording, right? Of course. And so they got businesses convinced that they had to force their employees to be vaccinated or to fire them. Right. Once this started to spread through all these businesses, now the courts could rule because the, the consensus of the population wanted it. Right. So now they can make court decisions based on the opinion of the general population or a section of the population. <laughs> so this is where everything gets really funny. So the courts don't even rule on whether it's just or not anymore. They're ruling on a, an opinion. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the thing, it's lawless. There's no, there's no morality. We've lost the morality. Like exactly. on so many different levels. It's just in the school system, in the medical system, in the court system, there's no morality anymore. It's unbelievable. So did you make some mistakes over time? Like, have you, what's your learning curve been like over these, I mean, you've been studying this for a long time, but now you're entrenched in the law. Have you made some mistakes? Are you learning a lot of, would you change things the way you did it for the first time? I, I, I'm, I'm the type of, uh, I'm the type of guy that I, I won't change anything in my past because it developed me to where I'm at now. Right. Right. And did I make mistakes? I probably made some, um, in, in my opinion, I think I did a fairly good job. I just started learning common law and a lot of this, uh, you know, legal mumble jumble documents. Uh, I really started studying it for about a year and a half now. <laughs> so it's still relatively new to me. I just dove deep into some rabbit holes and connected a bunch of dots and realized just how much of a, a fraud this whole system is. Mm -hmm. right? uh, part of my court documents that I submitted, I have 126 pages of evidence of them committing fraud against me. This wow. is why I record all my court cases is because if I'm going in there solo, and you know, it's three against one. 
or or even two against one and you're committing fraud and i'm pointing it out and you're not correcting your behavior damn straight i'm i'm recording it that's my evidence eventually right. we're going to flip this table and then you all be held accountable right where's your right? situation now where where what what's the status Okay, so I've, I've, I've made it all the way through the court process. They wound up doing my trial. Then they set the fine um, right at the end as they were setting the fine. Um, the justice of the peace, she was trying to get information off me. And uh, during that process, I wasn't answering her questions. I was just making little statements. And so I was, I was trying to arouse the moral side of the individuals that would be within the court right mm -hmm. so as she was like how many employees do you have i was like uh you know we're we live in a country that recognizes the supremacy of god and then she's <laughs> like okay so how long have you been in business for and god gave us fundamental rights <laughs> so how how will this affect you or whatever your next question was right and unless we stand for our rights government may try to take them away and then you know she say the next thing and that's what's happening right now so i'm going to strut my rights did she not demand an answer to her question she just kept on going on she didn't care that you didn't actually answer it well, she was trying to push me to answer it, but I mean, who can force you to answer the way they want you to answer? No. So then, you know, eventually I wound up saying only God can judge me and you, Michelle, because that was her name. Right. Mm -hmm. So and at that point, she just went. <laughs> so I, I, I struck a little bit of a chord there. Right. And I was like, oh, OK. Um, so apparently she dropped dropped uh, what the prosecutor was asking a little bit on the fine, set the fine. Uh, as she was setting the fine, she said, okay, this is what your fine is. You have, you know, three months to pay. And I said, okay, I uh, do not consent and I do not accept your offer. And she said, oh, this isn't an offer. And I said, oh, yes, it is. You're trying to contract with me and I do not consent or accept your offer. Mm -hmm. you know so we went through that three times and i said i still don't accept your offer and uh so then it was it was done and that was it so they mailed me a fine and the cool thing is on the fine there's a red box right it has my company name has my name on the one side but in the red box where the the fine amount is it says you owe so I wrote a letter back to the courts and to the justice of the peace to let them know that they're liable because now they trespass and they were trying to create harm on me. Oh, that was the other thing I said to her uh, as she was going through. She's like, I wish you would would have answered my questions this way. I could set the fine fair. And I was like, so you're trying to justify doing wrong and harm to me. Right. And yeah. she, went, she went, no, no. And I, she said something else. And I said, oh, so you are trying to justify doing wrong and harm to me by reaching into my pocketbook. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So anyways, in that red box, it says, you owe. So I, I wrote back to the court. I wrote to her, let them know that they're liable for a trespass because they, they weren't listening to anything. And uh, so I rescinded the contract and I wound up saying, 
you know, you owes. So I don't know who you is. You know, you is not I. Right. And if you owes you money, you need to go find you. Right. Because clearly you is not I. Right. And I'd asked you before we were recording, like, I think that means that that isn't, as soon as something's in a frame, it's actually not on the page, right? There's all these other things that we need to learn about contracts and how to write things and, right? So I don't even think that really is actually there technically. Exactly. Well, when you start to understand a lot of or comprehend a lot of what is going on, um, you know, things like that start to make a lot of sense because when they pull you into the court, the court is the biggest bank in our in our system. They create the most amount of money out of thin air. As soon as they pull you into the court, they have a bond that's created on you. The more times you're in the court, the more valuable that bond becomes the higher the statue statue of your credibility within the community. So if you have a, if you're a doctor, the higher the bond. And then, uh, so they drag it out and then eventually they wind up uh, selling them on the open market. So I do know people that are tracking them down and finding them. Uh, So the evidence for that is coming forward. And uh, so that's basically what the purpose of the court is for. The other thing is when they're creating money off of our backs, um, things like fines and such out of courts, they should automatically be paid for out of those bonds Mm. because they're they're created off of us. So therefore there are money and that, that fine technically it would be um, a statement. So the other thing that, that happens to us is our public utilities. We pay for our public utilities through our tax dollars. So when you get your um, gas and your hydro bill, they're yeah. prepaid. They're sending you statements. And then we pay the statement, so they're double dipping. Okay, yeah. I started studying this a long time ago. I can't remember, but yeah, I know there's stuff around that too. Yeah, it's, it's insane. And I, I don't think my head will ever understand how you appearing in court could create something that's of any a value that could actually be sold on the market. Like it's just so, it's such a crazy concept. Yeah. But um, one way that you can start to comprehend that a little bit better is if you go back to the early 1900s, uh, especially in the, in the States, uh, you had all of these different banks and all of the banks were running with a different currency. There wasn't a unified currency all across the, the state. So if you were in Texas and you went to California, your money could be worthless there or it could be worth 10 times more. You know what I mean? Depending on the state and what was going on at that time, um, there was a, a quite a bit of a ripple that, that happened to kind of unify them all. But in the meantime, you could write you know, banknotes and all kinds of other things so you could go to the bank, you could write a promissory note, the bank would honor it, and then you had the equivalent to the value of yeah. the promissory note. Yeah. So when you start to look at that aspect of how money was created and worked within the banking system of the early 1900s, they just pulled that over into this whole other system. Right. So now, now you can't go into a bank and write a promissory note because they won't honor it. 
they're supposed to. When you get into the Bill of Exchange Act, is is something completely different. You can do all kinds of fun things with yeah. that yeah. when you really start to comprehend it. And this is how the development or how they create money, right? And so they're doing it in the court and they just increase the value and this is how they're making money. It's the same as when they're giving you a loan, X amounts of millions creates another million. Right. Thin. Yes. Right. Yeah. I know. I'm not, I'm not a pro at this stuff, but I'm learning. My husband's definitely more well versed in that for sure. So I have a question about what did you create a fee schedule? Have you been charging them for all your time involved with this? Um, definitely. So all of my paperwork has had a fee schedule. I've adjusted it, uh, you know, about I'd say a quarter of the way through, and then it stayed, stayed very consistent. Nobody contested it. Nobody rebuted it. Not at all. So right now I'm, I'm in around, you know, $5 million or so um, just on the accumulation. Now there's, there's some, some people will say, you know, you get it notarized and then it's going to be taken serious and all this other stuff. But the way I'm looking at it is I've submitted so many different documents to so many different people without any rebuke to that fee schedule. Right. AccuEsk is in agreement. Right. Right. Now, so I have that fully and, and I've been documenting it the whole way. Will I get it out of this system? Um, probably not as it stands because the further we keep going down this track, the more corrupt the courts are becoming. Yes. To the point, to the point we have, you know, constitutional lawyers that are going in the legal sense and the court is overriding constitutional challenges. They're just spitting them out left, right, and center. You know, and um, so you have, you have lawyers that are specializing within that field going, what is happening here? You know what I mean? So if, if the legal side is not making any traction, what other way are we gonna make traction? Well, it's clear this whole system has run its course and we need a new system. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What kind of advice do you have for others? Like, I mean, we know this is going to happen again. I mean, hey, monkeypox, you know, there's there's always going to be another disaster to create the reason for the shutdown and for more safety, of course, and more protection. So what do you have? Like this this is now, now when when people have this perception of freedom, I think is a good time to organize, to educate, to, to come together and to figure this out. So we're prepared. So what do you, what do you think is the way forward? What are the some key elements and what advice do you have for people that are starting to realize, okay, I got to do something. Okay. So um, I'm going to get onto that little bit of freedom and then I'll get into the kind of the answer or what I, my perspective. So the little bit of freedom that we're having right now, to me, it's like you got let out of your jail cell into the range. Right. And you're like, Woohoo, I'm free, totally. yeah. <laughs> but you're not at all. Um, the other part of that is we know it's going to happen again. We just literally watched the who uh, write a, a health treaty and most people don't realize what actually happened there. The WHO is able to override any country's constitution, which in Canada, the reason why no constitutional challenges are sticking is because of the charter is full of holes. And the uh, constitution was never ratified. 
uh, Section 59 was never signed off on by Quebec, so it's in limbo. It's never been in effect, which mm -hmm. is interesting to know. But with the WHO, with this treaty, they're able to override any country's constitution through a pandemic in order to shut down that country. Right. But it gives them the power to bring in UN troops. Yeah, that's scary. So then in Canada, we have a document that's called uh, UNDRIP. Right. And in UNDRIP is uh, the UN Declaration for Indigenous uh, People, which also, there's a lot of sketchy wording throughout that. They don't define what Indigenous is in the document, nor in the UN. So to me, it looks like if you have a corporation that's gone bankrupt multiple times, you're opening up the uh, availability to seize the land as the money lender, which would be central bank through the UN. So now we have two ways that the UN can come into our country and grab our land. So if we don't start standing up now, we're gonna have nothing to stand up for. Right. The best ways to stand up and what I've been focusing on is multiple groups. Um, I'm, I'm getting people uh, back into community back into family, moral, community, yes. working together, creating gardens, finding farmers, get meat, um, you know, every way that we can sustain and keep the money in our community, reestablish community, family, morals, back to the old way, in a sense, moving forward. Yeah. Um, and developing a way to get out of this system, stop feeding the system. Uh, the more we feed this system, the more we are actually participating in this organized crime. Of course, right. And so if somebody has a business that they want to save and that might be getting threatened, do you have resources or a place where they can go? Like, what, what do you have? First of all, what do you recommend to somebody who's afraid to, to stand up? and to go against the crowd. No, sorry, I just have a question there. Yeah, um, no. <clears throat> so what do I recommend for people that are afraid? Yeah, and that are afraid to stand up and to stand out and to go against the crowd and say they have their business and they're just gonna do what they need to do to keep their business open, supposedly. Um, ed education dissolves fear. So the more educated, the more you know what's going on, the more your fear will dissolve. And that's, that's a, a slippery slope. I have quite a bit of knowledge. And if I unload on somebody too quickly, I, I literally kick them off a cliff in fear. Um, <laughs> and, and sometimes I have to kind of back up and say, look, I'm not saying this to scare you. Knowledge is power. And the more you know, and the more you comprehend, yes. the easier it gets. Because you get to a point like uh, uh, this happened for me uh, uh, quite a while ago where the fear just disappeared and just knowing you're right. You know, um, one of the best ways to empower yourself is try and find one or two other people uh, that are like minded and you don't you don't have to go out and do all these things. All you have to do is find one or two that you're able to talk to and communicate with and, and share ideas and, and uh, you know, educate each other and that kind of thing. 
that really empowers people. Uh, if you're in uh, an area that you don't know of anyone, uh, there's still protests going on. Go to a protest, talk to somebody there. You're going to meet a friend. To me, protests and, and nothing against protests, but protests have never changed anything ever. It's just a bunch of talk. And what politicians do is they're like, oh, you know, there's a hundred, there's a hundred thousand people in, you know, the city square. Okay, they, they're upset. Oh, bye. See you next weekend. Right. Right. Yeah, right. That's, yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's why I stopped going. I was going from April of 2020. And yeah. I stopped. I was like, you know what? It's great. I met, I met some great people. I made some great alliances. Yes. And that was the benefit of it, really. Mostly. Yes, exactly. And, and, and that's just it. Like, I mean, I'm not going to tell people not to go to protest because the more we have out there is a visual point, because even though they're doing that, once the numbers start to get really big, they're not going to shrug it off anymore. They're going to start to realize more and more. But going to a protest where you have no one around or you believe no one's around you, meeting other people, talking yeah. with other people, getting together with them, you'll start to look and see who's around you. And then that will give you the ability to start to connect and, uh, you know, really, really get things going. Like since March 2021, um, I've been trying to get... Uh, working with anyone in any province, trying to get them into little community groups and just to start going. And, you know, one of the common questions is, what do we do? And it's like, what does your community need? I can't tell you. I'm in Barrie, Ontario. My dynamics in my city is completely different than it would be in, you know, Barnaby, BC. Right. You know, it's yeah. going to be a completely different scenario and, and stuff like that. So you have to figure out what it is. But just getting together and brainstorming um, gets you on the right track. That also helps get rid of the fear because now you're not alone. And the more we start to do that, the smaller entities start to hook up with the you know medium than the larger entities. And I always had a vision that there would be you know, uh, a top of the network, not really a pyramid, but, you know, just more connected network that would pull all the little ones together. And I believe we're starting to see that now. You know, there, there are some individuals that are, are connected across Canada. There's some that are connected in Canada and the States um, and, and they're networking and it's starting to, you know, mesh this net more or the less. Right. Yeah. Slowly but surely, right? It's amazing how long it's taken, I find, and how it's very revealing what's going on to the actual knowledge and morality and strength of the people around us. I find it's uh, it's been quite a revealing time. So if people want to find out where about your videos, so you, you have those videos posted somewhere that you were referring to? Um, I do have them on my Instagram. So that's uh, Jamie Russo Tattoos. Uh, so it's J-A-M-I-E-R-U-S-S-O Tattoos, T-A-T-T-O-O-S on Instagram. Uh, they're also on uh, a Warrior Calls. Uh, okay. So Christopher James has posted them as well. Awesome. Uh, 
they're they're a little more buried because he's doing you know a couple of of webinars a week so uh but you can find them there okay i will look for those links i did i was watching one of your interviews with him just the other day just to get myself familiar with your situation so yeah well that's great i mean i think i've had my questions answered i just you know, I just want to hear your story, have you inspire others, because this isn't over, people. It's not over. This is not over until we stand up and all of us demand this to be over, right? And understand the truth. Like if you turned off your TV and you just looked out the window and let that inform your opinion, you would find that there's really nothing to be afraid of, right? So except for the fact that there's people walking around outside with masks on for some reason. I don't know why that is. But anyways, it's, it's understanding who you are, understanding how we're being played, understanding the playbook. It's very repetitive. So, um, and you know, a sign of intelligence is seeing these patterns, in my opinion, and uh, it's time to find those patterns and see those patterns. So is there anything else you want to say? I think that was really great. I appreciate you sharing your story. Anything else? Any last words? Um, I just can't, I can't um, kind of say enough, educate yourself find other people, empower yourself, you know, and it's like you said, everything is repetitive. Uh, get rid of your fear. There's nothing to be afraid of except for fear itself. That's a famous quote, right? And uh, with the repetition, we see the monkeypox coming. They're probably going to try and test for monkeypox. Here's a clear clue. You don't have to test for monkeypox because your skin will show the pox on your, your skin, right? So I, I bet they're going to try for asymptomatic or maybe be symptomatic or who knows, see symptomatic individuals with monkeypox. Yeah. <laughs> research, research, research. Exactly. Research. Turn off the mainstream sources, right? There's a great quote that I just reposted yesterday. I think is like in a world of propaganda, truth is conspiracy. Truth is always conspiracy, right? That's what yeah. they're always going to say. You go to those same trusted sources on your television and your radio, everything that you're saying to rebut it is going to be a conspiracy every single time. So, yeah. Okay. Well, Jamie, I really appreciate that. Thank you for standing up for all of us. I mean, that we all need to thank you because the more that do that, the more strength we have and the more other people will be inspired. And this is the way we got to go. We can't, we can't stand for this anymore. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.